0: Hey friends, welcome to the midweeks. Um, I'm here recording in a different room of the church, so if it sounds really weird in here, that might be why. Otherwise, you're welcome. Hopefully it sounds just fine wherever you are. We're in 1 Kings 19, and this is the rapid change of direction from when Elijah defeated the priests of Baal to himself being somewhat spiritually defeated by the matron of the priests of Baal. So you remember, Jezebel was the host of all these uh, priests or prophets that were killed, and we're going to see her reaction and how it really discouraged Elijah. Verse 1, chapter 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So Elijah, you might remember, was running in front of Ahab's chariot as Ahab was returning home. And I kind of get the sense that Ahab kind of thinks he's bringing good news to Jezebel. He's telling a cool story. You know, he wasn't mad at Elijah a second ago. He uh, he seemed to be persuaded by the event. But Jezebel, whose heart is with those prophets of Baal, who introduced them to uh, Israel in a major way, um, she is fuming mad. So she really is the power behind the throne. Ahab is seen as a weak king who was led around by his wife and especially by her anger, and we're going to see this again later on in a worse way. But she takes this oath against Elijah. Now, interestingly, this is the oath formula, you know, may the gods do to me and more also if blah, 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 blah. This is called an oath formula. They all take their oaths like this. But um, you know what? Elijah doesn't die. And so she's kind of called down this death curse on herself. And she says, no matter what, I'm going to kill him. And she doesn't manage to kill him. So there is this death oath hanging over her and later on God is going to kill her uh, or have her die according to the word of the prophet through I think it's Jehu forgive me if I got that wrong but you know when we meet Jezebel talking she she called down a curse on her own death however her offense and her political power and maybe even her spiritual influence are so uh, efficacious that Elijah is afraid and runs away to Beersheba and then you have this little note where it's that says he left his servant there so you get this you're just reminded that he's all alone just a little note here notice how we're not really told about Elijah having a servant beforehand Um, was this servant with Elijah the whole time we don't really know but I will, so you, when you see this detail that just appears out of nowhere, what I think this does is it balances with Elijah getting Elisha as his servant at the end of this chapter. Excuse me. So there is a bit of balance. You have Elijah leaving behind a servant at the beginning and Elijah gaining a servant at the end. But up to this point, mentioning whether or not Elijah had a servant with him hasn't really been important to the story, and so it's been blanked um, or gapped. I can't remember. There's the people who talk about Old Testament times. They have a difference but, or how these stories work. They have two different phrases, a blank and a gap. I think this is actually a a gap is when... One of them, and I think it's the gap, is when uh, the information is important and it's hidden from you at the beginning but revealed later to add depth to the story, but it is important. Other times it's when the information is blanked, it's not really important. And I think, you know, the fact that Elijah had a servant is blanked. It's just not really important to know. He doesn't really do much important to this story, but he's mentioned here, I think, just to give balance to picking up Elisha later on but you might remember later on Elisha has a servant Gehazi who gets himself in some trouble so maybe it's just customary for these prophets to, to have a, a servant with them and sometimes you hear about them when it's important to the story and sometimes you don't hear about them when it's not important to the story verse 4 but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying it is enough now O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel of the Lord touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength that of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb the mount of God so here is Elijah's discouragement and you know I'm not a psychologist and I'm not sure we're called to be psychologists but we're supposed to try to do some character studies here um Elijah is obviously uh very 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 discouraged and he's praying for death i think he he had such high hopes when god sent the fire from heaven you remember he says send the fire as a sign that you're turning their hearts back and then after jezebel's fierce response Um, Elijah's confidence that there's been any kind of heart change is destroyed and I'm not sure how accurate this is and I think as we read the rest of this chapter we'll see that God is saying hey I'm in control here so careful with the high highs and careful with the low lows Elijah I think that's what's going on here but anyhow God is very merciful Elijah is ready to give up, and God miraculously and supernaturally sustains him. And not just by a miracle like when Elijah was running before the chariot, that's most likely a supernatural strengthening, but it's a supernatural angel who comes with a very natural strengthening of giving him food and drink. And so God is being a good master and a good father here to Elijah in the midst of his great discouragement. And he even knows that Elijah is just a human. And he says, you know, you need to eat because this journey you're going on to Horeb is too far for you without food. And so um, a very tender scene and good confidence for the people of God that even when we're low, God doesn't necessarily agree with our perspective. In fact, I can guarantee you 100% of the time he doesn't disagree or he doesn't agree with the perspective of despair, but he responds to it with nurture and strengthening for his people. So, and uh, Elijah goes to Horeb, which is the Mount of God. Verse nine, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophet with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great day. And strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces and rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloud and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, you shall anoint Hazael, the king of Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi shall you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphet of Abel Mahalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall he shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave even I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. Okay, so this is a longer scene. Elijah comes to this place, this Mount Horeb. And, oh, I wish I could check it out right now. But I think this might be also where Moses met with Elijah. You can check that out. I could be wrong. But Horeb is a a famous mount for me with the Lord. And Elijah's there. And first you have this interchange. Like, what are you doing here? And then Elijah says, you know, his complaint. Everyone's abandoned you. I'm only left. And then you have these, like, supernatural devastation effects. And then the low whisper. And the one thing I want to pass say about this is note the part where there's a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Um, and after that, the low whisper. Do you remember in the last chapter how God answered with uh, Elijah's prayer? He answered with fire. And so you have this tweaking. Publicly, God shows that he is the God of power. He's the one that answers with fire. He's the one that um, is in control of nature. And yet that didn't change the hearts of the people. So instead you have this super, these like natural disasters ending with a low whisper. And then you have the scene repeat itself in one sense. And I think this happened in in real life. Some people think there's something else going on here somewhat stylistically, but you have this repetition. What are you doing here? And then Elijah gives the same complaint. And then God talks to him and tells him to go anoint Heziel and go anoint Jehu and go anoint Elisha and each one of these people will, will you know, bring death and judgment against Israel. And then in verse 18 it says, Yet I leave these 7,000 in Israel, everyone that has not bowed to Baal. And what you're meant to do as you read this is you're supposed to take these two scenes and you're supposed to say these are the same scene. It's kind of like in Genesis when Pharaoh has these two dreams where first it's the cows and then the sick cows that eat them up. And then it's the corn and the sick corn that eats up the good corn. Or maybe I've got the, the order wrong there. And Joseph says these two dreams are one and the same and we're supposed to read this story i think like this is one event as well and you see the lord appear to elijah in these natural disasters and then there's this low whisper and that's what god is in and then you have elijah told to go and appoint these political disasters there's this foreign king and then a the king of israel and then a prophetic uh man elisha who does bring judgment He heals but he also brings judgment Um, And then at the end it says But I have kept for myself Or I will leave 7,000 in Israel who haven't bowed the knee and you're supposed to say like God is ruling through this natural disaster and he's ruling through these political forces, these three different versions and three is a, is a number. It's a, it's like a telling a story number, right? How many bears were there? There's three bears. So there's these three parallel natural disasters and political disasters, but in the f- end, there's a low whisper, something that you can miss, something that you can ignore, something that you have to be attentive to hear. It's, 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 easy to notice an earthquake it's hard to notice a whisper and then with the political side it's easy to see kings and it's easy to see miracle working prophets but it's also easy to miss the remnant in israel that hasn't bowed the knee to baal that god is keeping for himself and uh You know in romans when paul is writing that he'll quote this verse as a sign of god's sovereignty over the human heart that god is able to keep for himself a certain amount of people who are faithful and he's picking up on that at the hebrew construction there where god is saying i will leave seven thousand you know i'm going to not i I found but you know it's heightened um, involvement there in those 7,000 pairs of knees that have not bowed to Baal and so this is how you read this interaction uh, Elijah has fled and he says you know it's all over just kill me and then he goes and meets with God and God reveals to him through supernatural events or sorry through destructive natural events and through the the commission to go and appoint the next generation of leaders of, for judgment he's saying I'm ruling I'm ruling I'm ruling I'm in charge. You know, Jezebel hasn't won. I'm winning here. I'm God. But with the whisper and with the non idolaters he's saying to Elijah, that's where I am. With these other things, this is where I'm ruling. But with these little things, that's where I am. And so don't miss it, Elijah. Don't quit. Don't give up because I am present in the whisper and I'm present in the quiet faithfulness of those non idolaters in the midst of Israel. That's how I read this part of the story. So verse 19, so he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing the twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth, and Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak on him. Okay, so again, this is how they tell the story. There's these three commissions, and it's very Hebrew-esque to kind of do it in reverse order, and I I don't. It's not quite in reverse order here, but it's not a crime for Elijah to take care of Elisha first. Okay, so he meets Elisha first. We're introduced to Elisha first, and um, Elisha is a big character. He's plowing. Even one oxen is a big deal, but if it's twelve yoke of oxen, and again, I'm I'm not specifically sure how you count this. Is it twelve times two? Like a yoke of oxen is usually two. It doesn't really matter. It's a lot of oxen. So he's a wealthy guy. And um, so he's running a a powerful farm. And Elijah walks by him and casts his cloak on him. And this cloak we'll find out later. You know, it really is a symbol of his prophetic ministry. And so this is an appointing. Um, And verse 20, it says, And he left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow follow you. And he said to him, Go back, for what have I done to you? This is mysterious to me. I don't know why Elijah says that. Um, When Elisha says, let me go back and kiss my father, my mother. um, This isn't like when Jesus said, anybody who puts their hand on the plow and looks back is unworthy. He's not saying this out of any regret. He's just, I think, trying to He's just on the field by himself, so he's he's trying to say, let me at least answer the question, where did Elisha go? You know, he doesn't want to just disappear, but he's committed to following. And then Elijah sort of has this, like, whatever. (laughs) Dude, It sounds like to me, I I could be reading it wrong, but it sounds like he's like, okay, whatever, it's up to you. But definitely not, like, pandering or trying to sell this thing. He's, He's definitely leaving the door open for Elisha to quit. Verse twenty one and he returned from following him and the yoke and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So again I don't know if this is like was this the plan to start off with, or is this a double down? If is he is Elijah saying to Elisha? I don't really believe you're gonna follow me. And so Elisha responds to this by not just kissing his mother and his father, but by slaying the oxen, which would be like if you had a farm and you had like tractors and trucks, it's like you just went and drove them all into trees, you wrecked your farm and then he fed the people with it so again this is generosity this is a good sign he's gone and provided a meal he didn't just like wreck it and leave them to to rot in the sun he actually provided this like these alms to people he fed his community with it and then he arose and went after him so this is a great introduction and it's a good sign for Elisha Elisha has faith for this calling Elijah doesn't hardly do anything to win him to the call and Elisha responds by by uh, destroying his life and accepting the call. And so this is this does remind me of when Jesus called the 12 disciples and he said follow me and it says that they left their nets and their fathers with the nets and the servants and they followed him. So they left their profession and their source of income and security behind to follow Jesus. And Elisha very publicly and dramatically um destroys his old life in order to follow elisha and we excuse me elijah and this is how we know elisha elisha is like captain all in he is um he's the one that like pesters elijah for the double portion later on um and so he's he is a man of great faith and so he's a good compliment to elijah who has just come out of a time of of uh broken faith, of, of bruised faith, and uh, and here we are. We meet Elisha, and so this is a, a, a bit of a crossroads chapter. Elijah does feel like he's, he's failed. God says, you know, even if you failed, I'm still in control. I'm ruling over politics. I'm ruling over nation, nations, and I'm ruling over hearts, and so there's this call to put Elijah, for Elijah to put his faith back in the Lord instead of in his own ministry. But then this chapter very hopefully ends with commissioning a next generation prophet who is a great man of faith. And so may the Lord help each one of us to be men and women of faith who go after God at whatever cost and and i know i don't say that flippantly i know living in canada we we are hesitant to pay the price of following jesus many times and so i'm praying through that i'm asking god to lead me in the way to to be willing to do whatever it takes to follow jesus and so may the lord do that for each one of us amen